Hello, and welcome to Anime Audio Commentary. Today I'll be commenting on episode 45 of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. If you'd like to watch along, then start watching now. Alright, so last we left off, things had begun to pop off. Greed was sort of bamboozled into killing his only remaining friend, and now he is rightly taking out his frustration on Wrath. So I find it interesting that Greed is sort of, um, still kind of confused about this whole prospect of memories. I guess naturally it makes sense that uh, seeing as how Bradley featured in those last few memories of Greed's, you know, he would be a natural place to start. But at the same time, you know, he's also doing this in front of Bradley's family and more importantly in front of Pride, who I'm sure if Mrs. Bradley were not there to serve as a witness, not only would Wrath go you know, absolutely ballistic, but Pride would do so as well, because, you know, there's only so much dissension in the ranks they can allow for, and I'd imagine that Greed's track record would lead to little in the way of lenience. Man, I have to say that this scene has been spectacularly choreographed so far. This in particular was a rather nifty little bit of greed just barely managing to shield his neck. So I guess the upshot of all of this is that despite this encounter, greed has managed to get away unscathed. I mean, obviously he wasn't going to be a match for Wrath right away. But at the same time, it seems that, you know, the fact that greed is now inhabiting Ling's body might have something to do with that. Ling being a trained combatant, you know. I don't know how much his biology would be intact as opposed to Greed's previous body, I suppose, but um, I'd imagine it would be a factor, you know.
Man, the Major General Armstrong really doesn't mince any words about anything. You know, she's calling her own father a doddering old guy, and she's telling him, you know, basically, like, go ahead and retire, I'll head the family now. You know, wow. I'd imagine if you're sort of asking to be made the head of the family, perhaps her approach is, uh, a little less than couth. Oh, dear. I feel bad for the Major. He's probably gonna get raffle-stomped by Major General Armstrong. You know, it seems like Major Armstrong's gonna be serious, but at the same time, I feel like as serious as he could get, it's not really gonna help him very much. I mean, I suppose it doesn't help that she's armed with a sword and he just has his fists. Wow. I mean, I guess it's not, like, an immediate, uh, loss on the part of Major Armstrong, but... The rest of their family just sort of takes it as though this is uh, a normal happenstance. I feel like Major General Armstrong might have had a habit of beating on her siblings a little bit. Wow, she really isn't pulling any punches. You know, it's almost comical how she threw him and then is dragging him back into the fight as he begs for mercy and, you know, offers a surrender. And, you know, nobody's stopping to intervene. Some family. Man, you know, it almost puts me in mind of that, uh, that old Tom and Jerry cartoon where Jerry drank, like, this magic potion and became a hulking monster and just, you know, beat the tar out of Tom. Alright, so now we have a little look at the true genius of Major General Armstrong. She's kicked her parents and family out of the country so they can't be taken hostage. Major Armstrong's kind of trying to, like, talk her out of things. Like, you know that Central Command's corrupt, right? And she's like, oh, I know. I'm fully aware of what's going on and I intend to do stuff about it. She really is a scary woman. So now we cut back to Mei Chang. She's still sort of, um, intent on crossing the desert by herself as she did before. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this village she's in right now is the one that Edward and Alphonse liberated from Yoki in the first chapter of the manga, which was sort of 
detailed in a flashback, but in no great detail. You know, I'm sure they don't know anything about who Mei Cheng is and who she's affiliated with. So they really truly are helping her out of the goodness of their hearts. Which is very heartening. I'd imagine Envy would take umbrage with this. You know, like, ugh, filthy humans working together. It disgusts me. Something like that. Okay, so rather than being spiteful, Envy is instead being conniving, you know. Will the Emperor really be satisfied with a half-dead homunculus? No, probably not. But it's not your problem anyways, you know. You don't need to help this country even if doing so would land you a better prize. So, it seems to me Envy has a vested interest in not being taken to Shang and remaining here in Amestris. And although there are some good reasons for it, you know, I feel like Mei Chang is ultimately making kind of the wrong decision just because it benefits Envy. So yeah, this isn't good. Envy's making it pretty clear that he can return to his full power if given the right power source, as it were. Okay, so uh, Edward and the two Chimera are sort of um, just tricking around a bit, somewhat aimlessly too, if I'm any judge. You know, Edward seems to have been wrong about finding Alphonse here, much to everybody's detriment I'd imagine. But at the same time, they are graced with a potential ally in the form of Ling and or Greed. So, it's very interesting that Ling is actually the one in control here. You know, that means that whatever happened with Wrath, Greed was so badly knocked around that Ling managed to wrest control of his own body again. You know, there really is a pattern here in that Ling just sort of shows up half dead and eats his own body weight in food. And... You know, doesn't really pay anyone back for putting them out of food. You know, it seems to me that sort of just going out and saying, Hey, I'm a homunculus, is probably not the best approach. You know, I feel like discretion would be a better idea. So fortunately, it seems like uh, Greed has in fact decided to rebel. You know, given what happened between him and Wrath, you know, he really has no incentive to work with them. 
Oh dear, that's very ominous. So Ling is uh, talking about this thing called the Day of Reckoning. And whenever that is, Father will open the portal. That's really not a good thing to do. You know, Ling is sort of indicating that perhaps when the portal's open, jumping through might benefit you. But it's kind of unclear. And it's also unclear when precisely the Day of Reckoning will be. You know, Ling seems to know, but he's not entirely in a position to relay that information. You know, that's another little plot point. Ling's sort of, um... Sidekick, I suppose. Lanfan, she's doing relatively alright now. All things considered. I mean, she's still without an arm, presumably. So I guess it's good that Greed doesn't seem to be hostile at all. You know, at worst, he's more indifferent to what's going on. You know, it's interesting that Greed isn't necessarily striking out on his own as purely an idealistic thing. It's also partially because he went out and attacked Bradley and, you know, there's no guarantee they wouldn't just melt him down again. You know, it seems like Ed is, uh... Not quite understanding how greed works here, you know. We're not teaming up together, you know. You have to work under me and be my subordinate. I mean, I feel like that's still not a bad deal, all things considered, at least nominally. Adding a homunculi, or homunculus rather, to your team to oppose father and the others. I mean, when you think about it either way, joining forces makes sense, regardless of how you sort of rationalize it. You know, I do find it interesting that even the prospect of being the Emperor of Xing is not enough for Greed. And I guess it makes sense, him being the embodiment of Greed and all. You know, he wants to rule the world, which seems to indicate that he's going to oppose Father, but at the same time, he's going to be a threat in and of himself. So it seems like Edward is uh, using all that gray matter between his ears. Teaming up with Greed would indeed be beneficial, so if he has to sort of say, yeah, I'll be your subordinate, then, you know, it's worth it, even if it's not something he's willing to strictly follow. I mean, he's sort of rationalizing it like, you know, 
I'm already a subordinate of the military, so, you know, this is just a change in management. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting that Ed is now being tactful. Because generally speaking, he's sort of stuck to idealism rather than pragmatism. Not that this whole business clashes with his ideals in any meaningful way, but... You know, it's, it's nice to see somebody do something intelligent. Oh dear. So it seems that soldiers from Central are continually dropping into this butcher shop seeing if uh, Izumi is going to be returning anytime soon. And I guess fortunately they don't really have a timeline for when she'll be returning. Her being a prime sacrifice and all. So as it turns out, she's actually deliberately in hiding. And that's probably... Uh, Rather prudent on her part as well. Oh dear, it seems like she's traveled north. You know, she's in Briggs, she might have to uh, repeat that little feat of living out in the, uh, the northern wilderness, killing bears and all that stuff. That still just gets me every time that, like, she was the cause of the rumor at Fort Briggs about the monster killing bears and all that stuff. That's... Like, if that tells you anything about Izumi Curtis, it's that she's pretty darn close to on par with General Armstrong in terms of being absolutely monstrous. Man, everybody's even putting the pieces together, you know? This attack of seemingly a woman on uh, the Northern Patrol is the same as that incident 20 years ago. Oh dear, so things are getting very intriguing indeed. You know, she has the usual shtick of claiming to be just a housewife, but at the same time, she comes bearing a message from the Elric brothers. So everybody's being very cunning in spreading information around here. So it seems like slowly but surely, all these forces are sort of aligning together. Man, General Gremmon, I can't say I approve of your methods, but...
You know, it really is interesting to see how all the information spreads around. You know, things are finally getting back to Hawkeye, who will presumably pass things along to Mustang. So, you know, this Rebecca character, I think this is the first we've seen of her, but I feel like she might have had a slightly bigger role in the manga. You know, this might be a case of that, but I don't know. She and Hawkeye seem to be acquainted or, you know, maybe even a little bit more than acquainted, maybe like actual friends or something like that. I don't know, I guess a small character like her wouldn't really have had a role earlier on, considering how condensed everything was. So naturally, Hawkeye's passed on a little package of cigarettes. I'm willing to bet that she also slipped a little message in there too for him which he will no doubt then pass along to Colonel Mustang. Yeah, no, there it is. There's the message. You know, Colonel, I insist you have a cigarette, even though you don't smoke. Yeah, so whatever season it is now, the promised day will be in the springtime. Oh dear. So just to finish things off, I'm sure we'll get one more little bombshell out of Mustang. Nope, guess not. He just incinerated the note. That's your lot.
Alright, well that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, then by all means, tune in for the next one. See you, Space Cowboy. <laughs>